0: Hello and welcome to Being Well, I'm Forrest Hansen. If you're new to the podcast, this is where we explore the practical science of lasting well-being. And if you've listened before, welcome back. This will come as no shock to you, but nobody lives a perfect life. Even in the course of lives that are generally pretty good, we all pick up our share of bumps and bruises. Many of these arise through our relationships with other people. And when we're hurt in our relationships, it's normal to experience resentment. We don't talk about resentment very much. It doesn't get named as an emotion that frequently. We're more likely to talk about anger or fear or sadness. But resentment is a kind of combination of all of these difficult feelings, and for my money, resentment and bitterness causes as much harm to our relationships and to our own well-being as any other emotion. That's what we're going to be exploring today, where resentment comes from, what it does, and what we can do about it. To help us do that, I'm joined today, as usual, by Dr. Rick Hansen. So, Dad, how are you doing today? I'm good, and I'm thrilled that we're getting at this topic. Yeah, I think that it is an awesome topic. I'm really glad that we're going to be exploring it today. As we were just talking about a little bit before we started the recording going— It's such a contributor, and it can be seen in so many ways socially in terms of our relationships, our politics, and uh, just a lot of other things that are going on in the world right now. But before we kind of get into that, I just want to give you a quick reminder about my YouTube channel, actually. It's youtube.com slash C slash Forrest Hansen. And if you prefer to watch these episodes rather than listen, it's actually uploaded over there right now. And I've dropped a link to it in the description of today's podcast. Also, you can find us on social media. We're on all of the platforms, particularly at Being well Podcast on Instagram. And finally, if you'd like to receive more content from Rick, you can subscribe to his Just One Thing newsletter, which offers a free practice every week for greater well-being. And I've also included a link to that in the description of today's podcast. So, okay, I described resentment in the introduction in the kind of general way, and I think everyone listening probably basically understands what we're talking about here, but I'd love your own take on it, and maybe particularly the functions that you think that it serves for us psychologically.
1: Yeah, when I look at resentment, and I am very capable of feeling resentful, it seems to have these four key elements to it. One, you feel injured, you're wounded, something happened to you, right? And second, there's typically a dimension in which you were wronged, there was an injustice. We don't resent the rainstorm that ruined our picnic. We don't, we don't particularly resent things that happen that are just bad luck. They don't seem like an injustice of some kind. And then third, resentment is embedded socially. It's a social emotion. Mm-hmm. We don't resent the tree that fell into our backyard. We resent the fact, true story, that our neighbor refused for six months to take care of it and take responsibility for you know, what his property had done to us. And last, it's self-referential. We take it personally. So we have these four elements, and people can think about someone that they have a difficult relationship with, in which there's some aspect, I should say, also of anger. Resentment is a kind of anger. It may have underlying hurt in it, but there's definitely some anger there, in which there's a sense of, okay, I was mistreated in a way that is unjust by somebody that I'm taking personally, and in some senses, I'm angry about. That's the crux of the matter. Mm. And while being a completely normal emotion, resentment, to quote the saying, is like taking poison and then waiting for others to die. People can marinate in and focus on and be preoccupied with and ruminate a lot about the dirt that others did them Mm, mm -hmm. or the ways in which others are not pulling their weight in a way that... They should, let's say, and we resent that it's always up to us to vacuum the carpet properly or to put the dishes away correctly, (laughs) (laughs) and others are falling short of some standard that we have. And that preoccupation, though, with the wound in which we're seething, it's internally directed. There's a term in psychology basically about internally directed problematic emotions or externally directed problematic emotions. And resentment is an internalizing kind of emotion, typically, mm-hmm. even if it somewhat leaks out. So there we are, seething away, thinking somehow that that will affect other people. But in fact, they have no idea or they don't care or they've moved on, right? Yeah. And they're not going to die, as it were, or experience any other form of justice just because you're resenting them.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think that alongside that, inside of resentment, there's often this feeling of helplessness that you've Mm. you've kind of described during that introduction there. There's the feeling that maybe somebody else should have done something, somebody should have stepped in to prevent this injustice from happening. A lot of the time, uh, we have a lot of resentments around systemic problems for that reason. When we're just one individual operating inside of a larger system, it's really hard to affect change inside of it. And that can lead people to feel really passive and and helpless and like nails rather than hammers to use our kind of typical agency metaphor that we lean on on the podcast a lot. Yeah. Also kind of alongside that, I think of it as being associated with repressed emotion. Mm. Something bad happens to us and when I think of just walk through kind of the times where I've felt really resentful about something, I feel like somebody did something to me, I was victimized in some way, something was unfair. Mm. Whatever happened, I just I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And The real resentment part of it comes in when I feel that I'm not able to fully express how bad the thing was to the other person and feel it land to them. I'm not able to kind of get my side of the story told maybe inside of the social group where somebody's saying that, oh, Forrest did this bad thing or whatever. And sometimes it arises when our kind of fear response, or maybe my fear response in this case, cuts off my ability to express myself effectively in the moment yeah. where somebody comes at me with something or something bad happens to me and it causes me to like freeze or it causes me to withdraw and run away, which I've talked about on the podcast a little bit in the past. And that gets in the way of my ability to communicate my emotional experience and mm-hmm. and be heard by other people. And that kind of like clamming up of the emotion often evolves from feeling Fear and sadness and vulnerability, into anger and resentment and emotions that are kind of more like aggressive. They're more they're more uh, stabbing in nature toward other people, huh. as opposed to those kinds of softer emotions that maybe we're just feeling inside of ourselves.
1: How do you find that feeling hurt, or let down, you know, left behind, something like that, left out? Hmm. Uh, those softer feelings. Um, how does that develop? The add on of that angry, aggrieved, sometimes vengeful resentment?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. We've talked about anger a lot on the podcast, and there are sort of different theories about anger. Some people like to refer to anger as being a secondary emotion, I'm kind of of two minds about that. But the basic idea is that anger is normally covering some other emotional experience. That it's not so much that we're angry, it's that we're hurt or that we're scared or that we're really sad. And the anger is bubbling up as a kind of protective, defensive emotion that moves us into action out in the world. And because of that, anger generally inspires our feeling of agency. And I think that the removal of agency, the removal of the experience that like I can do something in my life and I can change this issue is, again, a big part of resentment. And psychologically, we just really want to move into agency a lot of the time, I think. So I think that that's part of the reason that it tends to kind of bubble up. Transformatively, for me, if I have a hard time just kind of sitting and being sad about something, I'm much more likely to move into resentment around it. Mm. Or if it's a situation where I feel like I really can't express out that emotion to the person who is making me feel resentful toward them. And that's, that's a real recipe for resentment for me.
1: I think people who have a lot of power in society, let's say, maybe are less likely to experience resentment. They might be irritated about something, And I'm thinking a little bit about myself, frankly, Hmm. as someone who could be irritated about something, or I could have a critical judgment that other people should raise their game, (laughs) or they should try harder or something like that. But that's really different than resentment. And I wonder if part of what's really central to resentment, and this is where I can tap into experiences I had when I was younger and I had less power. I was more one down mm. going through school, mm-hmm. in which we feel that others are lording it over us in some way, or they got away with something.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great phrase. They got away with something. I, I think that's a major characteristic of resentment experiences.
1: Yeah. And then the anger starts to really come. It moves from simply, you know, being irritated or critical or hurt not saying those are the greatest, not saying they're bad either, just right there. But where does it move into this sense of grievance,
0: mm.
1: being aggrieved? You know, We tend to not resent people who have less status or power than we do. We tend to resent people who use their higher status. They cheat. They get away with something. They win the game because they lied or they snuck in something or they bribed the umpire. I have no idea what, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway, I think that's really interesting to reflect on. We're going to definitely talk about what to do about it, I'm sure. But I think just exploring it, because, you know, resentment is one of those emotions or experiences, experience altogether, because there's a cognitive aspect. You think a standard was violated, right? There was an injustice and there's... Definitely a sense of taking it personally, and then there's the the wound of it, and then there's the anger around it. But with all that, it tends to get very congealed, very knotted up.
0: Mm-hmm. It's like a
1: tightly knotted knot uh, that tends to resist close inspection, and therefore, us trying to unpack it, you know, tease apart the threads of the experience of resentment. I think can be really helpful to people. you know, what do you think? Was the standard that was really violated here? How bad is or was the injury? And can you accept it? Can you feel it? Doesn't mean liking it. And can you be aware of the social context, the framing? And can you be aware of ways that you take it personally? You think maybe they did it on purpose or they were morally negligent in ways that you take personally. And can you be aware of maybe some softer feelings underneath the righteous anger? There's a righteousness in the anger as well, right? So this unpacking of these five elements, I think, can actually be freeing for people.
0: Yeah. Before we go into the kind of what to do about it part of the conversation, uh, which you're already starting to sort of lead us into here, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, two sides of the coin, the costs of resentment, and then Potentially some positive aspects that can be associated with what we typically consider a pretty negative emotion. I think it's good to spend some time unpacking both of those because it can give us a sense of why we're doing what we're doing in terms of the interventions. So starting with the first one, what are some of the maybe less obvious costs associated with resentment?
1: Wow. Well, for one, you're preoccupied with the wound. Mm. I think of it a little bit like having a cold sore and eating a pretzel in which accidentally some chunk of salt lands on the cold sore. And yet there's something in us that wants to keep poking that cold sore with our tongue. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something about resentment. We keep returning to the hot coal. And there's this saying rooted in ancient Buddhism that getting angry at others, and I'll just paraphrase it, being resentful toward others is like throwing hot coals with bare hands. Both people get burned. So you are if you think of it, where's your attention focused? It's focused on the wound. It's focused on the injury, the wrong that was done you. And that itself is going to be typically a painful experience. It's, of course, really important, and I'm, I know we'll talk about this, to sort out the appropriateness of recognizing injustice and standing up for yourself and not just giving others a pass because you don't want to be resentful Mm -hmm. and, you know, really honoring ways in which and being self-respecting and being an ally to yourself if you've truly been mistreated, no doubt about that. Mm. But to carry around a preoccupation, a, a continual return to the topic of how they did you dirt and got away with it. Uh, that's really right there alone is going to be painful. Mm. And then second, it creates costs and issues interpersonally. I think about situations in which I've had maybe long-term relationships or been in times, maybe even in my family, where in the back of my mind was some resentment of your mom, let's say, over something or other. And I could compartmentalize it, but it was there. And it cast a shadow, right? It limited what the relationship could be, particularly since it wasn't really talked about at the time. Later, we've talked about a lot of things. So I think that's the second cost. You know, it costs us in our relationships.
0: Mm, mm-hmm. And
1: I think you said something really beautiful too. It's, it's reinforcing, given the brain's negativity bias, Velcro for bad experiences, Teflon for good ones. Yeah. It reinforces that sense of immobilization. Uh, they got away with it. Nothing you could do about mm, it. You're helpless. Mm-hmm. And, and there's that kind of passive seething that is so characteristic of resentment, which reinforces a view of yourself as someone that the world does to and you can't do anything about it. Which again, makes me want to underline the point that the truth is the world does to us in a lot of ways and some, to, some of us much more than others yeah. and much more unjustly. So totally. you know, there's a place for recognizing how the world does it to you. But then at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, if I'm marinating in resentment, who is that hurting most?
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: And is it actually bringing justice to those who have wronged me? No.
0: Yeah, totally. No, I think those are all really, really important points kind of associated with that idea of being trapped in a stuff is happening to me rather than me becoming active uh, viewpoint, of course, inside of the context where yes, socially, many people are done to in ways that are both truly horrible yeah. and that they have very, very little influence over. Yeah. Um, and that's what some of the you know great social movements of our time are really aimed at is reclaiming that sense of agency and that experience of agency, which is so important. Then kind of alongside that with resentment, I have this really individualist viewpoint that might have been inherited from you, Dad. I know that you certainly carry this one around as well. (laughs) We're just, just personally, like, I don't want my inner harmony to be sort of at effect by other people too much, or at effect by other people more than I want it to. I don't want somebody to be able to enter my life and like cause me to have a really negative emotional experience. Of course, sometimes that happens with the people we're really close with, that's part of the game. It's hard to have emotional intimacy without a certain risk of emotional wounding as well, obviously. But I don't want to give that to just anybody, if mm-hmm. at all possible. Like, that's a very, very intimate, connected, vulnerable place mm-hmm. to be with another person. And I don't want any, just anybody to be able to make me feel resentment toward them. To kind of paraphrase and steal a line also from, from a kind of Buddhist psychology, I don't want to allow them to invade my mind and remain, which is one of my favorite phrases. That's great. And uh, because yeah. of that, I, I try to avoid, yeah, I, I try to avoid. Too much resentment, like holding on to the hot coal too mm. long. Of course, it can be very, very challenging to separate from that. Yeah. Almost out of that kind of individualist mindset that I hold about my own emotional experience. So, okay, we've named all of these things about resentment that makes it um, have some cost, be a painful experience, whatever. At the same time, I don't know about you. But I have met so many people who are so resentful. Hmm. They're resentful toward their parents about things that happened in their childhood, maybe understandably. They're resentful toward all of these social forces, again, maybe understandably. They're resentful toward their friends, toward their relationships. I mean, I have people that I've been friendly with where you just have to dig a couple inches beneath the surface in conversation with them and all of a sudden, you know, 20 resentments just mm. bubble out that are held kind of just thinly beneath the surface, not even directed yeah. at me, but just kind of directed at people and the world and everything that's going on out there. Given that it's such like a painful experience and it has all these costs, why do you think people really hold on to their resentments so so strongly?
1: I have wondered a lot about that, forest Because
0: um, it's such a sticky emotional experience.
1: Yeah, I th- and there's one more element to in resentment, mm. which is a fixation on the past. Occasionally, it's present-centered, particularly if they got away with something and I'm in the present bearing the cost of that or in the present because they got away with it, now they're one up. Or they, you know, they got the award, but they really cheated as we were rounding the turn in the race and they got away with it. And that success now continues to create benefits for them. There is sometimes something about that in the present, but a lot, it's a preoccupation with the past. I suspect that in terms of our evolution, now here I'm gonna talk about sociobiology and evolutionary psychology, which is always fraught with peril, but that said, <laughs> you can imagine in small hunter-gatherer bands of yeah. 40 people who lived together their whole life, that forming resentments toward other bands would be a way to promote group cohesion and mobilize effectively aggressive actions and attitudes toward those other bands. And when you have a feeling of resentment that you were done wrong, then that can often lead to a righteous feeling of being justified in whatever kind of payback you're moved toward. So I can imagine that resentment and the emotion of it really had some evolutionary selection pressure on it to develop in us. There's a little bit of evidence in even studies on rats that rats can resent others for getting a sweet that they don't get themselves. And then they'll be more likely to kind of punish that other rat for getting that goodie that they, rat one, witnessed rat two getting. And rat two is, rat one is in human terms, mad that they didn't get their mm-hmm. share of the cookie mm-hmm. and they're going to... Take it out on
0: the other. I did not rats. know that. That's really interesting. <laughs> we're talking,
1: you know, neurological machinery. Yeah, uh, in them that's very analogous to our deep motivational emotional machinery from creatures from whom we diverged in the evolutionary pathways. Yeah, you know, ten hundred million, however or many more. million years yeah. ago. Yeah. yeah, a long time ago, uh, and you know, with a brain the size of I don't know a peanut or something in the head of a rat. So. Point is we're we're pretty vulnerable to that. Now that's at the group level. At the individual level, gosh, I think of resentment as being, you know, it it motivates us to address injustice when we're mistreated. I can imagine some conserved basis for that in evolution. I think resentment actually can be a kind of a teacher. It flags certain things, much like shame can be a kind of teacher or Great sorrow can be a kind of teacher, or anxiety can be a kind of teacher, but it's where we want to start. It's not where we want to finish, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Also, I think in a weird way, when you are caught up in resenting, it intensifies the feeling of relationship with those who wronged you. And often... Those are family members,
0: relatives. Mm, mm-hmm. That's really, wow. Exes. Yeah. I didn't expect you to pull that one out, Dad. <laughs> That's really interesting. I'm going to think about that one. Jeez. <laughs> Attachment figures. Yeah, it, it, it pulls your it, it pulls your relationship with them kind of into the present when it might be a thing of the past, if that kind of makes sense. That is really interesting. Wow. I'm going to marinate on that one.
1: Yeah, it's a weird way to be related still, even in a... Way that feels kind of toxic and self harming, even. Ooh. Yeah, the mind is a mess. That's why I love it.
0: <laughs> I'm not ready. I, I'm not prepared with a reaction because I it's uh, we we generally gin up kind of a show notes thing before we start talking with different ideas about what we're going to talk about, and that one's not in there. And that is that is a great point. I'm gonna have to really think about kind of how I feel about that. But my my initial. My like first reaction to it is that I think that that's completely fascinating, and I think that you're totally right on. Resentment is a way of keeping people alive in our life when maybe they are no longer alive in our life. And sure, there are good aspects of that. Normally, we're resentful toward people when they've done bad things to us, obviously. But there's also, and I want to be delicate about this because I'm just shooting from the hip here. So take anything that I say here with a grain of salt. It's a little bit, what you're referring to is almost a little bit similar to trauma bonding, Mm -hmm. where people can develop a kind of attached relationship to those that did really awful things to them and maybe resentment is kind of an unhealthy way of reactivating that bond or it's a way that that trauma bond keeps on sticking around yeah. even when in our kind of conscious mind we know that this is not a good thing for us we know that this wasn't a good person for us so wow 10 out of 10 on that one dad i didn't didn't think about that one at all
1: wow thank you <laughs> 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 and to be clear, we're we're unpacking resentment here. Yeah. Not in a way that quote unquote blames the victim. Oh yeah. It's more offering ways for people to explore their own experience and see whatever rings true. That's always the real measure. Whatever rings true. And totally. so I'll I'll toss out another one here, kind of along the same lines, that resentment in some ways I think can function as a defense against the grief of irrevocably losing a relationship or changing it irrevocably. It's a way to kind of keep that person close to you. You know, uh, what's the godfather line? Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. There's something about that. It's a form of clinging. That's a defense against really facing that, let's say they really did you wrong and they're not going to be with you anymore or you don't want to be with them anymore. And Also, I think resentment can be a defense against the grief of living with the fact that they're going to get away with it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. This injustice will not be rectified. There's no rectification. There's no punishment for them. You will not be made whole. This loss will not be repaired. You will not be repaid. You will not be properly recognized. The glass shattered and was broken and will never be bended and put back together again. Oh. Mm. And there's much of life that lands on us in that way, inevitably, right? And it's, it's hard to face it. I, it. It's ennobling, going to the ennobling first truth taught by the Buddha of the truth of there is suffering, there is unsatisfactoriness, there is dukkha in the language of Pali, early Buddhism. We will not be made whole. And I think there's a way in which holding on to resentment can keep that kind of vulnerable, maybe sorrowful surrender to the imperfectibility of life by extension and to the recognition of the lack of a just
0: world. Mm -hmm.
1: The world is simply the world unfolding. And um, we are not sheltered from the storm of bad intentions on the part of other people.
0: To connect to that and kind of expand it a little bit, referring to something that I said earlier in the conversation, I think that such a huge part of it is the way in which, just like you're saying, resentment shields us from more vulnerable emotions. Yeah. A lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people have an easier time connecting to anger than to sadness. I have an easier time connecting to sadness than to anger. It's probably why I don't immediately go into resentment, although I'm certainly capable of it. Um, but it's not like my emotional experience of choice, if you will, if you want to think about like, you know, your drug of choice. My drug of choice emotionally is definitely like sadness or anxiety. But some people, their drug of choice is anger. And part of the reason for that, I think, is because like it protects them yeah. from the sadness and the vulnerable emotions that they're they're not so comfortable feeling. So I think that's another reason that people kind of hold on to their resentment, maybe a little bit past its expiration date. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you do if you had an extra hour in your day? We're all looking for more time, but time for what? It's easy to waste time doing the things that don't really matter, and it can sometimes feel like we never have time for what does. Learning what we really value and making it a priority in our lives is something therapy can help us with. As you probably already know, I'm a huge believer in the power of therapy, and working with a therapist has made a huge difference in my life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeingWell today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com BeingWell. As somebody who's really struggled with skin issues like acne over the course of my life, I know just how great it is to not stress about what's going on with your skin. That's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, OneSkin. Their products make it easy to keep your skin healthy while looking and feeling your best. No complicated routine, no multi-step protocols, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. The secret is OneSkin's proprietary OS01 peptide. It's the first ingredient proven to work with the aging cells that cause lines, wrinkles, and thinning skin. And as somebody who's used plenty of complicated routines in the past, I love the simplicity of using their OSO1 face topical peptide. Just cleanse, pat your skin dry, and apply it twice daily. Get started today with 15% off using code BEINGWELL at oneskin.co. That's 15% off, oneskin.co, with code BEINGWELL. After your purchase, they'll ask you where you came from, and please support the show and tell them that we sent you. If you like being well, I think you'll really enjoy the Dr. John Delaney show. Dr. John's show was recently in the top five of all podcasts on Apple Podcasts, which is just an incredible accomplishment, and it speaks to how much value people get out of the show. Dr. John has a PhD in counseling, and he's been working with people for over 20 years, and the show has a very cool format. Real people call into the show and he walks them through how to navigate a tough situation related to common challenges. Maybe it's something related to their relationships, anxieties, or emotional well-being. He explores a lot of topics that are similar to what we talk about on this podcast, but while we can sometimes be pretty theoretical in nature, the format of John's show just creates a lot of directness and practicality to it. I think it's actually a really nice complement to what we do here on Being Well. No matter what you're going through, The Dr. John Delaney Show is here for you. And if you ever need some advice, you know who to call. Listen to The Dr. John Delaney Show wherever you get your podcasts, or follow the link on our website. There are healthy aspects to resentment as well, or at least aspects of it that maybe we could think of as being healthy. To start with, there are absolutely people who have a very hard time recognizing when they've been wronged. They tend not to stick up for themselves. They might not be in touch with the healthy aspects of that, like strong presence that we think about sometimes when we think about anger. And for those people, feeling resentment can be really useful in some circumstances. For starters, it's a really good indicator when you maybe should be pissed about something. Yeah, It's a really good indicator when you're dealing with somebody who maybe you shouldn't trust in the future. Um, so if you are somebody who has who is kind of maybe a little bit more in, uh, in my camp in terms of leaning on anxiety or sadness more than you lean on anger emotionally, resentment can be a really good indicator that maybe there's something out there that like you should actually truly be bothered by.
1: Oh, really good. Um, Often we resent slights or affronts Mm -hmm. to our dignity. And you're exactly right that there is definitely the indicator value of resentment. There's also the indicator value of resentment as in a kind of selfing alert. Mm. In other words, it tells us to pay attention to the degrees to which we feel whole as persons, Because when we don't feel really whole and nourished and fed from the inside out in healthy ways as persons, we tend to get prickly and defensive about our status as selves. I'm making that distinction between the totality of the body-mind process unfolding over time, person, you're a person, I'm a person. But then there's that sense that there's some kind of an entity inside that we want other people to treat well and to think well of. And the more that we take care of ourselves as persons, the less prickly and defensive we are about ourselves. So resenting something might be an indicator for people that it's a good time to look to your own roots Mm. and to ask yourself if you're feeding your own roots of helping yourself as a person. You made an incredible comment before we started recording about how Uh, If a person more generally feels happy and content in their life and in good relations, let's say with other people, they're less vulnerable to acquiring resentment. Or it, you know they might feel it briefly, yeah. but then it doesn't sink in. Maybe you could speak more to that in the ways in which resentment might be an indicator that hey, you know, shoring up your own well being. Maybe you listen to some of the back episodes of the podcast. You know, wouldn't be a bad idea.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, great self plug, Dad. I like it. I love it. Might as well, might as well promote the back catalog while we're at it. No, um, I mean you're you're totally right. You, you paraphrased absolutely correctly. For me, I. I was just, I was reading through some stuff when doing prep for this conversation. And I just thought about it in my life. And man, it's been, it's so rare for me to feel resentful towards somebody else. Like we were saying at the beginning, when I feel like I have more quote unquote power than they do, apply that word however you want to apply it. But really, even more so than that, when I feel successful, when I feel good enough, when I feel like my life is going pretty well, I tend not to have a lot of resentment, even toward people where I can go through the catalog of the mind and say, yeah, maybe this person didn't behave so appropriately. Yeah, maybe this person kind of took advantage of me in this way. But the sharp edge of resentment isn't attached to it hmm. to the same degree right. when I feel like I am enough inside of myself. When I feel like I'm in a position of weakness.
1: It doesn't invade you and remain so much.
0: Exactly. Totally. Absolutely. It's there, but, yeah. but I'm not bothered by it maybe, or it, it doesn't have those costs that we think about. I can acknowledge it intellectually, but there's no pain there. When I feel not that way, when I feel uh, unmoored in my relationships, when I feel like I'm in a position of weakness, when I feel like my life isn't turning out the way that I kind of wanted it to turn out, when I feel that my most recent business thing didn't go so well, or my most recent relationship is on the rocks or whatever, much easier for me to move into a place of resentment toward the people or places of things or things that... I used to have that relationship with. And all of a sudden the Rolodex comes out in your mind and you start going through all of the instances in the past where somebody did a thing and you didn't like it so much. But just like feeling good enough is such an antidote to all of that, at least for me personally.
1: You know, I I heard this line recently. (laughs) It was just great. Hmm. Uh, Actually, I'll give, give full credit here. It was quoted to me by Mark Stefanski. Okay, who was a teacher, a biology teacher in your high school, a legendary, wonderful person, a mindfulness teacher uh, as well, particularly for youth and just a great guy. He said, well, Rick, uh, and I think he was talking about some kind of uh, gardening, a garden they were developing or garden project maybe. He said, bad farmers grow weeds, good farmers grow crops, great farmers grow soil. Mm. Isn't that a profound teaching? Yeah, And you're speaking to the soil. The soil. Totally. The soil is your soil fertile for the weeds of resentment, mm, mm-hmm. or is your soil fertile for the seeds of well-being? Tend to your own garden, especially its soil, as best you can.
0: Yeah. No, I think it's a great point. Shout out to Mark. Shout out to Marin Academy. Yep. My uh, my old lovely high school. So, okay, let's move on to the part of the conversation because we're already sort of doing it here. Where we talk about really working with resentment. And I'll start with an idea, and then I would love to get some from you, uh, because this is really just kind of grounding the whole thing. I think that whenever we're trying to change an emotional experience we're having, we need to start with what do we want our emotional experience to be mm. actually, yeah, honestly, like authentically deep in our core. Because we can't change it if we don't prefer something else. And a lot of the time, we might prefer the resentment. Yeah. (laughs) Like you can only release resentment if you actually don't want to be resentful. And there are a lot of different ways in to identifying what else you would prefer. To the resentment. But kind of like we've been talking about throughout the conversation so far, for some people, there's a place for feeling resentful. Maybe right now it's not your season to move on from that emotion. Maybe it's still serving a function for you. Mm. Maybe it's helping you feel powerful. Mm. Maybe it's just not the right moment to, to stop having that experience toward another person. But whatever you do with it, you have to kind of start by figuring out inside of yourself what you would rather be feeling. Is there maybe an easy way into having a feeling of happiness Mm. uh, for the success of other people or a way in which you can look back on your relationship with somebody and just as you tally up the problems, you can spend a little bit of time thinking about some of the ways in which they were appropriate with you. They were okay with you, whatever it is. Maybe it could be that they are actually a horrible person. You don't want to feel good about them at all, but you don't want them to have that kind of power over you anymore. Mm-hmm. That's a really important one for me. And I think for many, many people who have you know, very legitimate resentments mm-hmm. with the behavior of others. So anyways, starting with what do you actually want to be feeling?
1: That's so great. And I'll mention a psychological technique that I learned from elsewhere a long time ago that's really powerful. Mm. And basically what you, what you have people do essentially, and you could do it here, is first imagine how you'd like to feel or how you'd like to be. Mm, mm-hmm. And even imagine some of the effects of that on others, on yourself. You take a dozen seconds or a few, you know, a dozen minutes to imagine that. And then alternately, imagine the status quo, your MO, your current modus operandi, how you are functioning currently, how you're feeling with regard to this particular thing, like in this case, resentment. So you imagine that, and you are aware of, and you recognize, you imagine the consequences that fan out from that for yourself and for others. You do that. And then you make just exactly what you're saying, a moral choice, a fundamental commitment, which is an existential choice. Which would I rather walk down? Knowing that you might get pulled in one direction or another, but at least you know what your choice is. At least you know what's your North Star. And usually people choose the higher road, I'll call it that. But it's not because it's the right road, it's because they're aware of both those roads and they make a particular kind of choice. Mm. So that's a bit of an exercise, actually, that people can do, I think. If I could add to that, yeah, please. About resentment, and this is definitely things that I do myself when I'm working with my own resentment. I'm trying to help myself. Let's take the higher road. Is you're helping yourself somewhat disengage from, let's say, the lower road of resentment. And there are three things in particular, I think, that do help us disengage from it. And they all kind of mush together, but I'm gonna describe them separately as three distinct things. One is the element of self-compassion. Mm. It hurts. It hurts. There was a loss, something happened, it landed. What's that feel like? And even unpacking the really softer, sometimes younger feelings, often what turbocharges resentments about something that's occurred these days is the residue of injustices and wounds and grievances and letdowns and betrayals and hurts from others that have happened in previous years. So you can kind of sense down to maybe the younger, perhaps, resentments that underlie the current one. Okay, compassion for yourself. Second, naming the standards that were violated, naming the injustice, naming to yourself the wrong that was actually done. And this can help to make sure that you're not overstating the wrong that was done, and it can help you appreciate that maybe something that you resented is just a matter of cultural preference. Uh you had your way, you grew up maybe in a certain religion, certain culture, a certain town, to think that some things are self evidently obviously the right way to be, and yet maybe somebody else has just come out of a different culture, and to them it's not at all patently obvious that doing certain things is the right way to be or that they should never do other kinds of things, and sometimes that happens often. What happens though is when you name to yourself the standard, the principle that was violated, let's say, in a funny kind of way, it can almost bring you to peace Mm. because they're, and it's self-respecting to name to yourself, yeah, they stole something or yeah, they cheated, they lied or they were cruel or they were negligent in some way or they took advantage unfairly. Of something in me, some naivete or some power differential, maybe in our standing. Uh, they were a sixth grader picking on a fourth grader, something like that. You, when you name the principle to yourself and you really name it clearly, there's some way in which it's freeing and easing and relieving. And then the third element that's often the case is the feeling of somehow being let down by others who didn't protect you or didn't step in, or didn't levy justice on your behalf, on the head of the person who wronged you. And uh, being honest about that, being in touch with that, maybe it's just sort of an assumption that other people should have done something. But when you look closely at it, you know they couldn't. Other times you think to yourself, yeah, the referee blew the call. Yeah, the judge Was on the take. Yeah, the fix was in. Yeah, my parents should have seen it. A reasonable standard for parents. They should have stepped in. Yeah. You know, so, but you kind of unpack that social dimension. So, those three reflections or processes self compassion, Mm -hmm. second, naming the injustice, the standards, the principles, the norms that were violated, let's say, and then also the role of other people. That can help us to become less trapped in and invaded by the lower road, and therefore freer to walk the higher road.
0: That's a great group of practices and techniques that actually, if you kind of smush all of them together, gets to the next thing that I kind of wanted to name here, which is communication. Ah, huh. yeah. Resentment is a great indicator that we have an unresolved communication of some kind there's something inside of us that we haven't expressed directly. Sometimes that's not the case, of course. But often what I find, particularly in relationships with people who aren't like horrible abusers, I'm talking about the resentments that we have toward our friends, toward our good enough but imperfect family, those kinds of close, intimate resentments that often can be the most the most lasting for the reasons that we we said in the beginning how when we are inside of those more intimate relationships with people the emotions that we have attached to them are so much more potent and resentment can be a clue that there is something that we haven't said to somebody else when i've had the opportunity to authentically name my resentments to other people even if i named them and the person ultimately did not come through if they didn't accept responsibility if they didn't see it the way that I saw it, if they continued to be a problematic person, almost always, nonetheless, I felt less resentment at the end of the process than I did at the beginning. Because kind of like you're saying, everything had been made clear. Oh, this is just the way this person is. You know, this isn't a communication problem. This is just their nature. And I can kind of like lighten up a little bit about it and then make good choices about whether or not I want to continue to be in relationship with that person. Alongside that, sometimes there's not an opportunity to resolve our communications with other people. It's not safe mm. for us to do that with somebody. Right. But even if we can't do that, sometimes we can res- make that communication, as you've talked about many times on the podcast, intra personally, essentially inside our own minds. You've given a lot of practices related to that: writing a letter you never know you're going to send, and then you know lighting it on fire, consigning it to the universe. Walking through a clear communication to another person that you know you're never going to speak, but you're like, this is the last time that I'm going to think through this in my own head, and then I'm going to stop chewing on this bone. Or talking to other people about it in a way that isn't just trying to foment social discord. You're not just trying to gossip. You say to a close friend, I really need to get this off my chest, and I need to kind of make this communication to you the way that I want to, to this person where I really can't. You know, it's lovely to have friendships like that. Not all of us do, but if you do, sometimes you can lean on them in that way. And that can be actually a very, a very fulfilling, very rewarding experience interpersonally with another person.
1: I think too it's honest to take a look at the social function of resentment
0: mm, mm-hmm.
1: in ongoing relationships. Totally. To be honest, I can recognize in myself, and maybe I'm not alone here, that by maintaining a certain compartment in my mind that's resentful, the resentment room. <laughs> when I put various things in there related maybe to a particular person that it, it makes me feel one up. And so a yeah, I need to take less responsibility for their grievances or even oh, how dare they resentments toward me. I can hardly believe that they have the audacity to think there's anything they could resent about me, given everything I resent about them, right? So it lets me off the hook there. And it is a kind of preemptive strike, kind of like I'm implying mm, that mm-hmm. whatever they are holding us accountable for or feeling that we're falling short of, I don't have to pay so much attention to because I have this backlog of grievances. And I think sometimes people wear their grievances like a badge of honor. They hold on to them. We could even talk about being really honest about the social function of resentment in uh, structural, societal kinds of ways, because one of the most powerful ways to deny or dismiss or rain a preemptive strike upon people who have legitimate grievances, because they've been held down in society by people who belong to your group even if you're not doing it yourself, one of the most powerful ways to preemptively strike against the legitimacy of their complaints is to cultivate, fixate upon, even manufacture grievances and resentments of your own. And we certainly see that, I think, frankly, to name it, in certain, I'll call it white supremacist circles, to really invent resentments and grievances as a way to avoid addressing the incredibly legitimate and understandable resentments and grievances of people of color and other people who've been really put down structurally
0: and historically in generationally consequential kinds of ways. Totally full agreement. Um, I think that that's a great articulation of it. And it's just an indicator to me of how powerful resentment is that if you look at the political landscape in the United States, and you know, this is a different podcast. I mean, you know, we could do Being Well After Dark One Night, where <laughs> you and I just, you know, spitball about this kind of stuff. It's a very different podcast, though. But I mean, it, it's just such an indicator where, where resentment politics yeah. has become just the most powerful force in politics. If you look at the political landscape over certainly the last four years, but really, you know, a significantly longer timescale than that which just tells you that resentment is an emotion that is incredibly potent and really causes people to move into action in different kinds of ways Often with, as you know, we've experienced from time to time, pretty disastrous results. Yeah. So, but transitioning out of you know forest political commentary for a minute, I would love it actually, Dad, if you took a second to kind of just talk about meta, because you are you know a Buddhist practitioner, you are a Buddhist teacher yourself. Yeah. Aside plugging our material some more, why not? Uh, Rick offers a Wednesday night meditation group. It's oh. totally free. It's drop in. It's over Zoom. I'll include a link to it in the podcast episode as well. If you like the podcasts and you're into the practice of meditation, you'll probably be into that as well. Mm. Um, And it's just like a really cool little community that you've built over there. So anyways, okay, metta for resentment.
1: Well, metta is a word in Pali uh, and language of early Buddhism. And it's not Buddhist. It's translated routinely as loving kindness. The root of the word is friendliness. And I like that quality in it. Friendliness mm-hmm. seeing you know a basic benevolence, a basic decency toward other people that meets them with an open hand and an open heart and an open mind rather than you know the closed hand of a fist, the closed heart of prejudice, and the closed mind of you know rigidity and um, turning them into its rather than those and so it's interesting that it's challenging to deliberately bring A feeling of friendliness, if you will, or benevolence, uh, broad mindedness to someone who has truly wronged you. It's really hard to do that. Mm. What can be done is to start with compassion for yourself in the ways that it's landed on you. Second, a wider view. And this is really freeing with regard to people who truly have wronged us, is to see them without giving them a moral pass, but seeing them as part of a vaster, larger network of causes and conditions that led them to punch you in the stomach that day. All the things that launched that person almost like a cruise missile four generations ago and all the causes and conditions that have come forward. When we open it wider like that, we tend to feel less resentful and then and third, move us into some sense of compassion for them, Uh, maybe compassion for some inner level in them. You might have to go very, very inner or very, very young to get to something you can feel compassion for. Uh, They probably wouldn't have done that if deep down inside They were not suffering in some way. So maybe you can find some compassion for them. Doesn't mean you agree with them, doesn't mean you approve of them. You haven't yet moved to metta. You have not yet moved to loving kindness or simple friendliness, but you're moving in that direction. And then you might basically come to a place that I think is a very beautiful place to come to, where regardless of what the others are and what others are doing, there is a kind of unconditional goodwill a kind of unconditional benevolence or or a blessing orientation to put it in a certain framework that doesn't have to be religious but a kind of field that radiates from you of goodwill of wishing others well that can include wishing also that they experience justice mm. for the mm-hmm. sake of wishing even more others well, and for the sake of recognizing that it actually can serve people to go through a justice process for their own sake, long term, so you you sit in a kind of wishing well, a kind of fundamental friendliness that's like radiating i think Wi-Fi from a base station. Other people move through it, but your radiation, your radiance, your rippling out, you know, your fundamental attitude, maybe if only for yourself, because it's freeing and feels good and it disentangles you from others. That kind of fundamental attitude of goodwill is not contingent on what others do. Your actions may be contingent on them. You might report them to the police or file a lawsuit or complain to a licensing board or refuse to see them at, at Christmas or the holidays ever again, whatever it might be, or tell everybody you know about what happened. You might do those things, but without ill will in your heart, mm-hmm. without hatred mm-hmm. invading your mind and remaining, without it corroding you, uh, without that side of the force, <laughs> you know, <laughs> taking you over and corrupting you, if you will. Yeah. So, and So you're in that attitude, including for your own sake, irrespective of what they do. Mm. And it's really actually a beautiful place. In a very genuine way, you can just look at someone who has wronged you and while seeing them clearly, while pursuing justice, while taking action, while protecting yourself, while taking care of yourself as a person, you look at them and you just kind of shake your head and go, wow, wow. You want to stay away from condescension you want to stay away from subtleties of disdain and contempt, but you look at them and you go, wow, you know, I don't know all of what led you to do that. And wow, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry <laughs> that it's like that to be you. Yeah. And again, like I said, stay away yeah. from disdain and contempt, but there's something about it that's mm. that's pretty compassionate and, and you wish them well. Anyway, that's a pretty good place in which to sit. Thanks for inviting me into that. I kind of blathered on there maybe a little bit, but it's a deep, deep thing to be able to find that fundamental freedom.
0: No, I, I thought I thought it was great. And it really gets us into something that I just want to touch on a little tiny bit at the end here, because I think that it's an important umbrella for the whole conversation. And it's a point that's really central to what you were saying about meta a second ago. You can have meta or, you know, loving-kindness in your heart, which includes in a generalized sense, all beings, Yeah. without excusing people's behavior. Excellent. And that's a really, really key distinction. Yeah. Just because you let go of your resentment doesn't mean that you forgive the person for what they did. And one of the things that we talked about in the book Resilient, which we wrote together, is this idea of disentangled forgiveness versus full pardon forgiveness. It's yeah. an idea that you've really workshopped through the course of just your writing. You've written a lot on it. And to very, very quickly summarize it, when we forgive somebody in a disentangled way, it doesn't mean that we think that they're a great person. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that we fully necessarily forgive them for what happened. I, I mean, it doesn't even mean that we stop being bothered by it on some level. Mm-hmm. But we want to remove the sharp edges from it. We want to kind of have the hands up and just go, I don't want to worry about this anymore in the way that I have been worrying about it. I don't want to think about it anymore in the way that I've been thinking about it. Again, returning to the line we've said five or six times so far, I don't want it to be stuck in my hmm. mind. I don't want it to stay there. And that's the power of disentangled forgiveness. It's it's the universal shrug when you kind of come to terms with yourself and you realize, look, I'm going to do what I can out in the world to make things right, including if that means, as you were saying, talking to the licensing board or not going to Christmas dinner with the family anymore. And then I'm going to move on and I, I'm going to live my life as well as I can. And I don't want this person to have power over me anymore. So I'm going to forgive them in the manner that I need to in order to get to that point. And that could be a very, very small (laughs) matter, you know, that does not have to include a lot. Um, And I just think that that's so important here, because it's easy to get kind of sucked into this idea of, well, of course, I'm still resentful, because what they did was bad. And it's like, well, yeah, what they did was bad, but I don't want you to still be suffering over it. And that's like the critical distinction.
1: That's so clear for us. And uh, it's like we give them power over us, right? (laughs) Bad enough that they wronged us in the first place really bad on us that we give them the power to keep wronging us in our mind again and again and again as we rehash it.
0: Yeah. And that and that preoccupation is the killer. And that's really what we're trying to avoid in this whole conversation that we've been having today on resentment. So I think that that's a great place to leave it. Um, I think we explored this topic in pretty good detail. If you have any questions about it, you can reach us at contact at beingwellpodcast.com. And today we explored resentment together. Resentment is a kind of interesting emotion because it brings together qualities of many other emotions. Often it's based on a feeling of anger directed at another person, which you know may or may not have sadness or fear that resides underneath it. Resentment is also a social emotion. It's something we direct at other people. We don't generally resent a storm that comes along and ruins our day, but we might resent a person that does the same thing. It also often tends to involve a feeling of mistreatment or injustice that somebody else got away with something that they shouldn't have, and maybe that somebody, anybody, should have stepped in to help us out. Because of this, resentment is also associated with passivity and helplessness. Somebody did something to us that we didn't want them to do, and there wasn't a whole lot that we could do about it in return. We then went on to talk about some of the costs that are associated with resentment. Rick semi-quoted a old saying, which is that resentment is kind of like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. We're having this really negative emotional experience inside of ourselves, and Most of the time, the other person is either totally unaware of it, or they really don't care that much. Resentment also tends to keep us stuck in the past and prevent us from moving forward. It can also stop us from repairing and reconciling with other people, particularly if the feeling of resentment that we're having is covering over more vulnerable emotional states like sadness or fear. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes, particularly if the resentment is directed at people that actually are fairly good people that we in general have a pretty comfortable relationship with. And of course, be thoughtful, protect yourself through all of this, use good judgment. But sometimes if we can access those more vulnerable, softer emotions with that other person, it can actually create a path to repair and reconciliation that might not be available to us if we just stay in resentment and anger. Then I kind of closed that section by mentioning my very individualist viewpoint where I didn't want other people to have the power over me that resentment implies. Like I said a second ago, often when we're resentful towards somebody else, they really don't care about it. And they're making us feel pretty bad and they're not experiencing a lot of cost in return. And I don't like that. I don't want somebody to have that much power over me, particularly the power to experience what I experience as a pretty unfun emotion. We then talked for a little while about how even though there are all those costs, people are really attached to resentment anyway, and I asked Rick why he thought that was. He gave a couple of different answers. One of them totally blew my mind, and it was that resentment can kind of keep us in relationship with somebody who maybe we're not in relationship with any longer. And even if this person was a negative person in our life, even if they caused us to experience a lot of suffering, sometimes there's a part of us that still has an emotional attachment to that person. And releasing our resentment toward them might also be kind of like releasing the last thread of connection that we have with that individual. We spent a little while talking about some of the healthy aspects that can be associated with resentment, particularly if you're somebody who doesn't naturally move into anchor, Resentment can be a real indicator that, yeah, something actually bad happened here, and it's really appropriate for you to be upset about it. It can also let us know when we have unresolved communications about something. And yeah, sometimes we can resolve those communications with other people, but sometimes it's not safe to do that. And when that's the case, it can be helpful to kind of find other ways to make that communication, even if it's just inside your own mind. Finally, we closed by talking about working with resentment, and I led off by saying that one of the important parts of that process is identifying the emotional experience we would rather be having, because it's really easy for people to say, oh, I don't want to be resentful anymore, I don't want to feel this, but a lot of the time, kind of deep inside ourselves, we really do actually want to be feeling this. We want to hold on to the resentment for all of the reasons that we explored during the episode. So a critical first step is opening to some other kind of emotional experience. And this really connects to two other things we talked about, metta and disentangled forgiveness. Metta is a kind of loving kindness, a warm hardness directed outward, theoretically toward all beings, but you can kind of choose how you want to frame that and uh, choose you know, who you feel authentic about directing that kind of warm, loving emotion toward. Then with disentangled forgiveness, we're not extending somebody else a full pardon. We're not saying that what they did was okay. We're not saying that we want to be in relationship with them again in the future. We're just saying that we don't want to be thinking about this anymore, and we don't want the other person to have that kind of power over us. And moving into that form of forgiveness, where you don't fully forgive them, but you forgive them enough to move on with your life, can actually be a really powerful stance from which to operate. If you've been enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would take a moment to subscribe to it through the platform of your choice and maybe even leave a rating and a positive review. It really does help us out. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast in other ways, you can find us on Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash beingwellpodcast. And for the cost of just a couple cups of coffee a month, you can support the show and you'll receive a bunch of bonuses in return. Finally, a few things that we mentioned during the episode. Rick has a newsletter. It's called Just One Thing. And each week he shares a freely offered, wonderful practice aimed at improving your well-being. I think that the newsletter has something on the order of 200,000 subscribers. People really love it. And it is a wonderful content offering. I've included a link to it in the description of today's podcast. Also, you can find us on social media. We're at Being Well Podcast on Instagram. And Rick and I both have our own individual accounts on Instagram and Facebook. Finally, if you're listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I would really prefer to be watching these in the future, well, now you can. Most of the videos of the podcast episodes are uploaded to my YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash C slash Forrest Hansom. That's it for today's episode. Until next time, thanks for listening.